Um, just to let you know, if you hear any squeaking, it's my chair. <laughs> I think you need a new chair. Yeah, it just needs to be like it's kind of new. It it just needs to have like oil put in it or something. It's just started squeaking this week. It's kind of weird. It's a good thing that this is an audio medium, then, isn't it? <laughs> good God! It's just that because I don't know if you I can hear it. No, well, now I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try to keep it down, will you? Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit of professionalism. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 233 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of the movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. So yes, we are back just one short week after the last episode. And yes, we will be back again just one short week after this. That is because there is so damned much to talk about on the screens right now, people. There are black and white lighthouses, sprawling mobster biopics, there are directors in Spain having deep moments of introspection, and that doesn't even count what's going on in our various web portals. It's hard to keep up, but we shall try, especially since we have the passion and drive of today's guest to help inspire us. She's presumably still watching a little bit of Halloween horror out of her hair and a whole bunch of witch movies and craft movies and occult movies, but we're very happy to have her as she turns her attention to the end of the year. Uh, she is a writer who can be found uh, both at Vulture Hound and She Likes Movie. We are across the wire to London, England, where Katie Hogan is back here. How are you, Katie Hogan? I'm doing good, thank you. And yes, I am like, literally coming fresh from the craft, like fully immersed. <laughs> <laughs> it's been far too long since I watched the craft, so I think I really do need to uh, to get in one last hit of of yes. you know of, of spook before we go towards noir in November. On episode 233, we will be discussing Jojo Rabbit. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first we need to learn more about Katie. This is Know Your Enemy. So along with Katie's wonderful appearance on my 200th episode that I did live in London, um, what seems like a million years ago, but was really just summer last. Um, oh my God. I know, Sorry. right? Um, <laughs> that was only last year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Katie first <laughs> appeared on episode 135. We talked about while we're young. We learned the first film she'd ever saw in a theater was The Lion King, which we now need to qualify as the animated Lion King. The last film she'd seen at the time was Excess Baggage. The worst film she'd ever seen was Love Actually. Her unseen classic or essential is North by Northwest. Any movement there? You've seen it since, haven't you? Uh, not, yeah, I've seen it now. Okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm remembering now. We had this conversation <laughs> last episode. And the films, plural, that she wished she made were both The Double by Richard Ayoade and a Disney classic called Winnie the Whale. Then on... Uh, episode 164 we talked about hunt for the wilder people we learned that the film she digs that seemingly nobody else does is soap dish the film everybody else likes that she does not is lost in translation the last movie to make her cry was a late quartet in the movie of her life she'd be played by yasmin page and next she was going to go see howl's moving castle so it's time for round three miss hogan interpret this question any way you wish what was the film that made your love of cinema turn a corner Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> and it's only a cheat because I count Lord of the Rings trilogy as my favourite movie ever, but I count all three as one. But um, so 
I can't remember. This came out in 2001. Tolkien has always been around because The Hobbit was uh, one of my favorite books. It was one of my parents and my auntie's favorite books. So the, the Lord of the Rings seemed like a natural, like, yeah, okay, let's go see this at the movies. Sure, yeah. From the minute, like, it ended, I was obsessed. I just didn't stop talking about it. I, I had to find out what happened next. I had to find everything else about the characters. I had to find everything about the movies. I literally just delved way too deep. Well, I don't think it's way too deep, but I delved <laughs> right into... <laughs> the the mythology of the whole of like the whole of Middle Earth like I I literally went absolutely Tolkien crazy, but it, I don't know what it, what it was about this film I don't know if it was the epic scale because I'd seen like epic films before for instance my we used to watch Ben Hur all the damn time like every Easter when it came on it was Ben Hur time and to me that was like okay that's an epic movie but then seeing Lord of the Rings on screen I don't know if it's it was fantasy because Maybe I just didn't watch enough fancy when I was younger. I don't know. It was just, it was all-encompassing amazement. I loved every single bit of it. And my favorite two characters were, like, two minor, well, they were part of the Fellowship, but they weren't, like, the main characters. Merry and Pippin, they're the best. We all know it. Of course. <laughs> now, do you remember, like, approximately, like, how old you were at the time? Oh, I think I was, ooh, 2001, I would have been 12? Because I'm wondering yeah. if maybe it was because those were your epics. And I mean, it's I, I feel like we haven't had true epics since then. And I say this as a fan of like, you know, everything that's come ever since we haven't had a whole lot of epic cinema. I mean, mostly because it's all a lot of it is moving smaller um and because yeah. a whole lot of it is becoming about um gimmicks and trickery like you know you could make a case for something like avatar i guess but we haven't had anything <laughs> like lord of the rings or like titanic or like you know like like those kinds of really large scale movies so i kind of wonder if maybe that's what it is is that those were the first epics to make an impression on you at an impressionable age yeah, I, I think that's it's fair to say. Actually, yeah, come to think, yeah, because I, I, I'd acknowledge like the old epics and be like, yeah, that's epic. Yeah, but you're right. It was like, yeah, I would have been. Yeah, I think I was only twelve. So going to the and also my parents didn't like to go to the cinema a lot. Oh, so, so there we go. So it was all like it was myself, a whole bunch friends. of things combining at once. Yeah, it was kind of like, my parents want to go to the cinema? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) The one question I do have, though, is would you say that that was the film that made, like, those were the films, and I also do count them as one film, by the way. I have have great umbrage with the fact that they won all kinds of tech awards for all three movies, because I was like, that was one project. Come on. Come on, people. You know, the the score for one was the score for all three. Give me a break. Um, But (laughs) would you say that it was the film that made your love of film turn a quarter, or the love of Tolkien turn a quarter, or was it maybe both? Probably more film than Tolkien, because I kind of, we already loved The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit when I was younger, and we used to have this audio drama tape because when we were kids, we didn't have a TV in our dining room or anything like that. My mum would put on story tapes and me and my sister would listen to it. And um, it was actually quite fun. It was like this, it was like having a book read to you or having a, a drama like played out for you on the radio. That sounds but, charming <laughs> as hell. <laughs> That's, we used to do that. And then when my friends used to come around, they're like, what you have? Like, why are we listening to a tape? I was like, it's story time. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, Miss Hogan, what was your first date movie? <laughs> 
this is a bit of an awkward one because I don't know if it counts as a date, but um, I, if I was going to pick, uh, okay, if I, I have to pick one, it probably would have been, um, oh, crap, what was the Sherlock Holmes movie? Sherlock Holmes. The first, yeah, oh, the first Sherlock uh, Holmes. It was just called Sherlock Holmes. There was no subtitle. Oh, right. Okay. The one Sherlock with, uh, the one with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. Yeah, and okay. you know what? I'd already seen it twice, so <laughs> it's by really... kind of date. <laughs> well, the, the long story was that the guy was gross, but we won't go into that. We'll just talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like, wait a minute, hold on a second. There is a story here because you went to a movie that you'd already seen with a guy you weren't entirely in, um, enamored with going to see the movie. I like. I, I feel like that. Uh, you know that. That's that's. That's a story that probably deserves a podcast unto itself. It probably does. It would be a whole like series of them with uh, various different gross people. But yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there's a whole like there's a horrible funny story that comes with the whole thing anyway. But I ended up the only reason why I was on the date in the first place is because the guy had ambushed me when I was drunk at a party that I was hosting, ah. Ah. and. <laughs> and then apparently like after he asked me out and i was like of course and then i started going around the whole house going oh, i'm going on a date and then oh god it was really bad so i was like oh crap i've told everyone i was doing this so i have to go oh boy well you know at least at least you'd seen the movie before so you know it wasn't like you're really missing much i, I think that i think that that was a yeah. low investment um bad date by the sounds of it like you know you didn't lose a whole lot of money you didn't lose a whole lot of time i i think you no. got away with one and I quite like the movie, so it was worth it. Oh, there we it. go. The, the, All more, right. the thing is, I could have seen something else because I could have seen like a movie I hadn't seen, but I was like, oh, okay, let's go see Sherlock Holmes. And then he was like, yeah, okay. And then after the film, he was like, I thought you hadn't seen it. I've seen it as well. And I was like, whoa, God. <laughs> the lessons we are learning. <laughs> All right, let, let's move on from the date. Miss Hogan, what is your sick date movie? Um. So... I actually have two. This is cool. a cheap one of them. Because they go, I, I watch them as a double bill. Okay. Um, but I always watch um, Rear Window. Hmm. There's something comforting about being stuck if you're sick. Yeah, you're stuck okay, okay. FLB Jeffries. <laughs> right. That's and yeah. my, my window actually faces outward to the street, even though you can't see anything. But it's still like, oh, okay. window. Rear Window. <laughs> and the other one? Yes, exactly. And, and what's the other one that goes with? <laughs> Um, well, that's only been since uh, I think it came out. Uh, it, it's Dread. Oh, uh, okay. Now, color <laughs> me curious. Uh, why Dread? I don't know. I find it very comforting to watch when I'm sick. <laughs> I mean, it's dystopian. <laughs> it's violent. It's grim. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Rear Window is not exactly a barrel of laughs, but at least I understand the association. Uh, like, do you have a thing for Carl Urban? A thing for Lena Headey? Both? <laughs> I, it's like the whole package, I think. I don't know. I, do, I, just, I just like it because it's... I don't know why I find it comforting. I'm just like, I know what they're going to do. They're going to go into the tower and they're going to just, you know, fight and they're going to, you know, sort themselves out. There's like a couple of stories all in one there. It's about what a rookie finding her place in the world. It's about Dredd just, you know, doing his thing. It's about Ma like trying to prove something and watching our whole empire crumble upwards. Hmm. Yeah, because it crumbles from the bottom upwards. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It all seems feel, it feels like it's all in balance. And it is like, there's a satisfaction at several points in the film. Um, 
Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone if anyone's not <laughs> If anybody's still holding out. Um, I mean, you know, like it's, uh, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I enjoy, I certainly enjoy Rear Window more than I enjoy Dread, but I enjoy Dread for what it is. Um, mm. it, it's, it's crazy because the, when I think about Dread as well, it, that strikes me as the kind of movie, if I was homesick and it was on, I might just stick with it. You know, like like if I if I turned on Netflix and it was just on the the main page, or if I turned on the television and it just happened to be going, I would just probably stick with it. So, in a weird way, it kind of does encompass my sick day as well, as terms of, you know, less deliberate action and more <laughs> yeah. just I happened upon it and and it happened to be on during my sick days. Yeah, but I, I literally just put the DVD on. It's <laughs> just like settled in gotcha let's get into dread yeah, okay. but i watch rear window first if that makes any difference. that makes no, that makes a lot of sense like i i mean between the two i think to myself that's the one i'd want to be awake for <laughs> yeah yeah i think as i always think that i'm like oh, i also it's because familiarity i've seen rear window so many times even when i'm not sick but it's always when i'm sick that's my go-to at uni i had it on like a loop i think when i was feeling ill oh wow just yeah just I don't know what it is. I just, turning, I just really like it. You, you kept changing back out between that and Soap Dish, eh? Uh, yeah. What was the last film to leave you speechless? Um, This one was actually quite a difficult one, but the last one I can properly remember, it's because I was with my sister when we went to see it. Hmm. Um, And we saw it late. It was Arrival. Oh, yeah. So because uh, my sister and I both love sci-fi and we'd been waiting to see it and we were just like where are we going to find it we found like some random showing in the middle of the day on the weekend and we were just like let's just go and I think there was only like two other people in the cinema but it was a small one and, and we were just expecting like okay sci-fi movie here we go and the way it unfolded where it was actually oh my god there's realizations throughout the whole thing and then there was this like when oh, they call them Albert and Costello the uh, aliens right that's right um and when one of them, oh, I don't want to spoil it again, but when something happens to one of them, <laughs> um, we got really emotional. We were sort of really drawn into it. And we never, re we didn't really speak through the film. We just kind of shared glances with each other, like, oh my God. Like, uh, like we were really sort of invested in everything that was going on. And the realization, like, near the end, when you're like, oh my God, this is what it's actually all about. And, it, I, I, the imagery as well mixed in with like the emotion how I'm, like there's so much emotion just with a few glances with a alien that doesn't even have a face but you can feel its emotion somehow I don't know how to explain it because it's like speechless because it was just so beautifully done and it, there was no like there are so many films out there like arrival where there's like oh the aliens are here hope oh, it's an invasion oh we're all gonna die and there's always like a negative and violent uh, response whereas with arrival it's not it's almost peaceful and it's more like a puzzle that they're trying to solve it's not like whoop should we kill them are they going to kill us or what's going to it wasn't about that it's about it's all about language and about learning about time so that's what left me speechless <laughs> i think what i'll always come back to with um arrival i mean like first of all arrival it's it's strange because it it, it dropped into our laps in a in a very uh strange time for me personally but what i'll always remember in a grander scale is that um it arrived pardon the pun uh when you folks had just finished your brexit vote and america yeah. had yeah. just put 
Trump into power. And there was this strange ground shift in the world. And then in comes this movie whose whole uh, uh, philosophy is we need to communicate better. Not we need to communicate more, not we need to communicate louder. We just need to communicate better. And it's it's strange because I actually believe that that still remains an underseen movie that could not possibly have arrived at a better time. And yeah. considering everything that was going on at the time, that, that, that I remember that really did hit me. And thinking back, like it didn't, I, I saw it alone. So me being left speechless wasn't that hard because it was just me. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, the, that film at that moment, it certainly would really hit when the world is just yelling at each other along comes this thing that says, no, 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 no. You need to listen. Yeah. Yeah. No. It, it, it was about the timing as well. We got really emotional because it all hits you right at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it, that, that's a great answer. If you still start thinking about stuff at the end of the film and then start relating it to how, what's going on with you as well, what's going on around you, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. But yeah. It's the communication. It's all about the language. That's Absolutely. what I really loved about it. I do believe I'm going to need to rewatch that when this whole episode is over. So if you see that turn up in my letterbox feed, people, you know why. <laughs> uh, last but not least for now, uh, Katie Hogan, what would be your epitaph? Um, these violent delights have violent ends. Oh, what's that but from? That's actually, that's actually a quote from Romeo and Juliet. So right. I don't know if I I'm, he does say I'll, it in the I'll film. allow it. I will allow it. Okay, good. So the you, other one was about burning witches, and that's not really going to work. Well, now I want to hear. Now I want to hear that one too. <laughs> um, from Monty Python's Holy Grail, um, when they're about to like, they've got a witch, and they're like, "What do we burn? Witches? What else do we burn? More witches?" <laughs> uh that that might confuse people as, as an epitaph but i do love these violent these vi what is it these violent delights have violent ends yeah and i assume of course that we're talking about the 1996 version that also probably made a deep impression on young katie oh it did of course it did, it did. of course it did um <laughs> I will. I will absolutely. Allow, I mean, the fact that it 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 transcends over from from literature to film so well, uh, you know. Yes. And of course, anytime you're talking about a book quote that got turned into a movie quote, you're 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 appealing to the bibliophile in me. So I mean, really, it's like you're it's like you're playing to the crowd. Um, yeah. So well done. <laughs> um, there we go. That's that's lots about Katie, and I do mean lots about Katie. Uh, we will <laughs> learn more whenever she comes back for another go. But for now, um, we have a movie to talk about. Um, quite a notorious movie to talk about come on back right after this it's time for the new slang we're going to talk about jojo rabbit right after this quick break jojo rabbit is directed and written by Taika Waititi. It's based on the novel by Christine Alunins. It stars Taika Waititi himself, Roman Griffin Davis, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Stephen Merchant, and Rebel Wilson. It is the story of Johan 
Jojo Betzler. Uh, that is young Griffin Davis himself. He's a 10-year-old boy living in Nazi Germany during World War II. He is a Hitler youth. He, he's not exactly what you call a really successful Hitler youth. And after a little bit of an accident, he is uh, he's removed from the core and they try to find other things to suit his talents. Jojo is a little bit insecure, but that's okay because he has an imaginary best friend. Um, and his imaginary best friend is Hitler, like Hitler, uh, played by Taika himself. And as Jojo goes on about his life um, with his uh, single mother, played by um, Scarlett Johansson, his single mother is Rosie. Uh, he talks often to Hitler, or Hitler, I should say, talks to him and tries to navigate him through these difficult times at the end of World War II, especially since... Rosie is not entirely behind what the fatherland has planned and is doing some insurrection of her own that will draw young Jojo in. So Jojo Rabbit is, we could call it a dark comedy, I'd say is probably the best way to describe it. And it wants us to laugh at Nazis and it wants us to laugh at Hitler. So while these questions are usually much longer and more verbose when I usually start off the review section, uh, we're going to keep it simple today, Katie. Pop quiz, Hotshot. How does this movie allow us to laugh at Nazis and laugh at Hitler? Very easily. They literally just make so many ridiculous statements, including so many things like where what Jews are able to do, uh, what uh, Jews uh, basically making fun of the Nazis' beliefs about Jews and also about themselves, and it's all so ludicrous that you can't help but laugh at it. That's that. I mean, that is the that is the the best part of it is they never they really really never try to play things very straight. There's there's one or two. There are several moments in this movie of true darkness but oh yeah generally speaking this movie tries to lean on on the surface how absurd so many of these things were and you know and and make everybody so much bigger so very cartoony um i think that part of how this movie wants us to laugh is because it it centers very much on a couple things. It centers very much on what the Nazis were doing in the final throes of World War II. Like Sam Rockwell shows up in this movie as as a kind of a camp counselor for the for the Nazi youth, and the first thing he says is, "Well, this thing is all almost over anyway, but here we are." And, and you realize that you know we're really late in the in the game, and and they're still like they still have to keep on going. Like they can't just start saying, you know, shut down the youth camp because we're losing. You know, like they, they, yeah. th- that would just not be accepted, but we have to watch, you know, we have to watch them in the final days. We have to basically watch Rome burn. Um, number one. So we're watching, we're watching them when they're already really, really failing. And we're watching just the pure absurdity of how some of these things were taught, right? Like there, there there's a, a moment in the trailer where Rebel Wilson just declares in full voice, okay, kids, who wants to burn some books? And they're all like, yay, <laughs> like, like it's a commercial. And you're just sitting there like, that that might be how it was. I don't know if it, it probably wasn't, but at the same time, just phrasing it that way and, and putting it into that kind of a context of like a TV commercial, it allows yeah. you to laugh at how absurd it is, even though 
you know, we're we're like we were saying before with when Arrival showed up into the world and where we were at and where we are now, you wouldn't expect that we would be one going to the movies to watch more Nazis and two laughing at them. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm just the um, the book burning thing, but there was a, there's another moment where I just couldn't stop laughing because it was so horrendously true it's it's something else that rebel wilson says so it's it's at the camp again where they're where they're naming all what they're going to be doing and they're like to the boys like you get to be doing all these like crazy you know air quote fun activities on basically on how to use loads of weapons and you'll be learning how to explore do survival that kind of thing and then the girls oh you're going to be learning how to take care of babies and to cook and do all the women's stuff right i do remember that and then they're all like yay it's it's a much more muted hooray and then the girls are just standing there watching the boy i think there's another bit where the girls are just standing there watching the boys have fun and they're just like oh we're stuck here doing yeah. this yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that was horrendously like on point as well because there's some certain people out there who still have those beliefs about mm, women or mm. girls and that boys should just be allowed to do whatever the hell they want girls you have to stay at home in the kitchen take care of those kids and uh, get ready to get pregnant and all that so it's just yeah it's <laughs> funny but it's also it's painfully funny <laughs> of course um i do take you enjoyed this movie Oh, God, yeah, I loved this movie. I I, I thought it was going to be... I, the thing is, I liked it because it wasn't just comedy. Yeah. I like I like how Taka... Taika... Sorry, Taka, Taika, sorry, Taika. Um, I like how he blends in something that's so ludicrously funny and so ridiculous, but he manages to mold in some emotion and some really dark themes because, overall, this film is a war movie. Mm-hmm. It is set during war. Yes, they're making fun of Nazis and seeing how ridiculous they are and seeing like how these kids are molded into like believe the certain stuff. But, you know, it's still a war movie. Like towards the end when they are literally losing the war and you see the bombs falling and everything, it, the the realization cl- like it gradually just closes in going that this is actually this is a war zone. This little boy is in a war zone right now. How is it he's meant to be like 10 years old and it, it's it's amazing how you can literally be laughing your head off one second and the next minute you're like, oh no, Jojo, you better be safe or or, or something. Every time his little friend who came on with the one with glasses, he was adorable. I always was worried for him throughout the film as well because like, he's so sweet and he's so nice, he's so innocent, but he's and he doesn't seem to be sold on this whole uh, Nazi youth camp, but he's just there for the for the ride. And um, the bit where he, I think he's, by this point, he's just covered in ash and he's just wearing a vest and shorts. And he's like, I think I want to go home now. I just want to go, I just want to cuddle from my mom or something. <laughs> uh, we're talking, we're talking about Yorkie here is, is the, is yes, the, uh, actor, the, the character's name. I mean, it's, it's funny because he, he buys in, uh, like, he's a great little microcosm of what's going on because he buys into <laughs> the, to the Nazi propaganda completely. Um, even, you know, when he's, he's talking about, what, as they're really losing, he's talking about who's still left on their side. And he's like, well, it's just Japan, but they don't seem very Aryan. Um, it, it's got that, that children's honesty to it, which I just howled laughing at that. Um, but it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where 
he's put into a uniform that I think if I if I saw it correctly, it's made out of paper. Um, and then yes, they, they, they didn't even give him a proper uniform. They just basically outfitted him in cardboard. And yet he's still yeah. going, he's still chugging along. He's still trying to, to, to help the war effort. And you want to say to him, what are you doing? And yet he, and yet that's the thing is he's got this, this innocent belief, which, you know, might be a neat little kind of wink at how a lot of this thing, a lot of these things happen is those who are convinced have a childlike belief in the people who are trying or doing the convincing. And meanwhile, yeah. like while Yorkie is doing like Yorkie just kind of comes and goes like a Greek chorus, right? The, yes. the, the, the rest of the but time it's, it's much more about Jojo. When you see him. Though. Oh yes. Then you're like, he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You, you really do fear for Yorkie. It's like, you know, you, you see children like Yorkie and even like Jojo and you're like, you're not going to survive this conflict. And yet every time they come back around, I mean, even yeah, like Yorkie, survives some really harrowing firefights and you're like oh he's okay um it's yeah. it's, it's you know like it gives you hope um you know i i it's you're right this is a movie that when it goes dark it goes pitch black right and we yeah. we get that everywhere like we we certainly get that around rosie around scarlett johansson because you learn relatively quickly that she is an insurgent like you, you you don't it's not spelled out right off the top but there's a moment where she and jojo are in the town square and you can see that there are some traitors who have been hanged and left out like publicly hanged and i i didn't catch if jojo was just looking away by accident or if jojo just didn't notice but you watch her like put her hand on his head and turn so that he can so that he looks and she she's oh, like he says gross yeah and that's she's it. like yeah that's it and she's like no 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 you're going to look at this you're the, this, you need yeah. you need to see this you need to understand what has just happened you need to understand what we're in the middle of so she never fully spells out to him that that she is a traitor as far as the Nazis are concerned, right? Um, you know, in, the, in yeah. the grand scheme of history, she, of course, is doing the right thing. But as far as this movie is concerned, that she is an insurgent to her side. And yet you get the impression that she wants to instill into her child, no matter who wins and who loses, he needs to answer to himself at the end of the day. So part of answering to yourself is bearing witness. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's if somebody has died you are going to look you are going to look you're not going to turn away you're not going to pretend it didn't happen you're not going to just speak it away as 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 what you know when he says gross you are going to you're going to be accountable to yourself at the end of this and that in the middle of all of this silliness with like beatles songs and that kind of thing i think is really what makes this movie work there was a fact they were all german (laughs) yeah it's a fantastic it's a fantastic little opening to this movie where after he talks to imaginary hitler for the first time and you know we get a hey give me a hail me give me a hail me um after we do that we get into the movie the opening credits are you know actual scenes of nazi rallies it, they set it to a german version of i want to hold your hand so you've got this strange little like throwback to the movie version of hard day's night but with nazis because yeah. of course um that i, I think that's where that balance comes in and what allows us to laugh at the nazis is the fact that the 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 heart of this movie is you can laugh and you can smile and you can you know like you know just look at all these nazis be absurd but that's but it's because at the end of this all you still need to be accountable to yourself i think her teachings about just making him look at the the people hanging 
it, I think that's her slight way of telling him, like, look, you've got to bear witness to what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And I, but I also think the reason why she doesn't outright tell him that she's part of the resist- resistance, because I think there's some sort of, like, uh, keep the childlike belief, like not wanting to tell him the truth, like, to just keep him safe. Yeah, I mean, I think like that's not involved. Yeah, it's I I think it's twofold. And it's actually it's it's one of the ways that this movie is really elegant is on the one hand, like you say, she doesn't have to um, she doesn't have to instill that in him and, and she doesn't have to make him make that choice. But it, it's I mean, it's also survival, right? Because this was a time when the Nazis were drilling into the children. If your parents don't agree with what we are saying, tell us and we'll take care of your parents. And yeah, I mean, you're a kid, right? Like you don't really think it through. And that was how a lot of like what TD has said, that was how a lot of um, opposition in Germany was rounded up and executed was their kids turned them in. Right. Which I mean, oh seems God. yeah, it seems bananas, but it's, it's, it's actually true. And I mean, again, yeah, if you're telling, if you're taking children out for the time of their lives and you're saying that, you know, the Fuhrer is going to make everything great. And if your parents disagree, let us know and we'll take care of your parents. It's okay. It's, <laughs> it, it was, it's true. And it, and it's, you know, like you, that, that, that was, you know, you, and if, if you ever wonder just how crazy the Nazis were, that was part of it. Um, but that, so I think that's, that's, it's twofold. She's protecting his, his she's protecting his innocence and she's also protecting herself. Yeah. What did you uh, What did you think of uh, of young Betzler? What did you think of the young man we've got, um, Mr. Roman Griffin Davis, at the center of this movie? How is he as a juvenile actor? I thought he was adorable, but he probably would not appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I thought he was he was brilliant because he he kind of comes off as this innocent, like I don't know what I'm doing, and yet. He still has like a belief like, yeah, my best friend is Hitler, imaginary Hitler. Um, I can still do this. I believe I can do this. He still he kind of has a belief in himself. But he also kind of like he he I don't know how to say this because he he kind of gives off that feeling that he's not quite sure that everything seems okay, And it's that moment about the rabbit. And he tries to, like, save the rabbit. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, ah, like you're still a human being. You aren't like these other crazy crazy people and i don't think he wants to accept that he's actually a good person <laughs> and that he questions uh and that he questions what their what their motives are and what they all want to do because th- the aim of the game for the hitler youth is to be part of the army but to be honest like when he i think there's a point in time where he realizes this is not what i should be doing and it's the rabbit it's the bit with the rabbit where it's kind of like and he needs to accept that he's He's not one of them. There's that. And I mean, I, I think what sets him quite apart from Yorkie, because um, I mean, again, every time Yorkie comes in, everybody smiles and everybody's happy because Yorkie is just so cute and so <laughs> yeah. warm and gooey. But I think what what sets Jojo apart is that Jojo, because we go so pardon the pun deep down the rabbit hole of of Ooh. his life and we see all of the various complexities of his life, like how his mother, his father is is absent, but Jojo doesn't completely buy the story that his mother has told about his father. Um, yeah. Also, once, you know, we, we've been kind of skirting around the fact that 
in the course of this movie, Jojo discovers that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl named Elsa. And when Elsa comes into the fray, Jojo also starts to deceive her talking about some boyfriend that she has named Nathan. She he like he starts forging letters from Nathan, which, you know, on the one hand they're kind of absurd as well, but on the other hand again, in the context of this movie, all of these things that he's kind of wrestling with and have to put himself into are far more mature than what a 10-year-old yeah. would do. And, it's you know, so funny that- yeah, oh yeah, it was. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, this kid, this Roman Griffin Davis, he really, he nails it every time. Like, I always believed him. I didn't think that he was kind of acting above his his station. I just, I, I bought it. I bought that this is something that this this kid would be capable of doing at 10 years old. Yeah, uh, I thought he was, he was something good, perfectly cast. He's got, there's something about him that he still maintains this innocence as well as like, he's still the 10 year old boy who's, he's wrestling with what to do with what he has to do and, or what he should be doing, what he thinks he should be doing. But he also like has, he, he he's able to convey the, like he's able to go on par with people like Johansson and Rockwell. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. When every, they're in a scene yeah. together, you don't, you're not always like, ah, oh, Sam Rockwell. Although he does, he's actually quite funny. But it's always Jojo who maintains like the focus. Like he can keep it on himself, I mean, rather than have these steal the scene. The it, it's it's crazy because the only time that focus ever really pulls away from Jojo is when Taika shows up as Hitler. Yeah, yeah. Apart from Tiger, but but he's he's imaginary Hitler. It's it's kind of hard not to win against. Yeah, like that 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 is. I, I think that's another way that this film succeeds is, despite the fact that it's being sold, imaginary Hitler's not there that often. Which I thought I liked because I thought if he was there too much, it'd be it'd be over the top and it would kill the joke. Yeah, the fact that he only shows up at certain points and then he starts to even turn nasty and darker for imaginary friend like he starts to become like a like real hitler mm-hmm. and i quite like that so it's like a realization like wait this imaginary friend isn't my friend and if he was there too often it would just be overload of hitler and yeah. the joke would die yeah and i mean getting back to the question that we started this off is how are we able to laugh at it is we're able to laugh at imaginary hitler because imaginary hitler's not there very often right that's like like you say we would probably grow tired of him even as absurd as he is like when he says you know people said i was crazy look at me (laughs) it's funny but that's because yeah yeah then he goes away for like a good solid 20 minutes so it's i think that's that's kind of again a sign of good execution when you can have this kid who can hold command of no of anything that's going on in a scene in the movie unless he happens to be next to hitler yeah um, now, of course, with him, we also have Thomason McKenzie um, as Elsa, the Jewish girl who Rosie is hiding. And she is incredible in this film. Has she been in anything else? Because I actually, I I don't recognize her. Well, she has. It was going to be something I was going to touch on very quickly on the on the other <laughs> side. But I can mention it now because it was something uh, we have actually done a whole episode. She was in a film uh, last year by Deborah Granick called Leave No Trace. <gasps> That's her. Yeah. Oh my god! I haven't actually seen Leave No Trace, but I just, I just remember some trailers and pictures and stuff. So that's her. She's the girl. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, see oh, see Leave No Trace. It was one of the best films of last year, um, and Deborah Granick 
it took her far too long to make another film after Winter's Bone. But yeah, Thomas and Mackenzie, um, she's the one who in that movie, she was the daughter of, uh, of Ben Foster. In this movie, she's the Jewish girl who's hiding, um, you know, behind like in this like secret compartment of, uh, of Rosie's home, um, watching her opposite Jojo. There's t- like, it's, it's this amazing relationship. The two of them, it's, it, it, sometimes it's just childlike. Sometimes it's kind of romantic. Sometimes it's friendly. Sometimes it's actually like brother and sister and, and it just kind of, and sometimes they, they, you know, they, they're actively antagonizing each other. I agree with everything apart from the romantic side, only because I, I always find like that was only one sided from Jojo. Well, I mean, <laughs> when he said, well, she's you, practically you, my girlfriend now. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're 10 years old. You see a, you see a yeah. pretty girl. She wants to dance at some point. If this war ever ends, it's, you know, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to, you're going to feel something. Something okay, all right. I'll let, I'll you're not going to know what it is because you're ten, <laughs> and you got like you know it's terrifying at that age, but it's there. Um, yeah, well, you know. I was like, just thinking from her side, like uh, her side. I always think that she sees him as first, like as an opponent, and then as maybe someone she can make a deal with. Like the 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 relationship with them turns from like what can I like who is this person? What can I get out of them? Let's make a deal. Hang on a minute, we're actually really good friends. I don't want to use the word, but blossoms. I hate that word. But how, it <laughs> <blossoms>. <laughs> how it blossoms into something like as a, I always thought it was like a brother sister dynamic. It's, and it's, only because of trust. Yeah. I find it, like with sibling like trust that they, they will take care of each other. It's um, the thing I like about it is that it, it is evolving it's so many things from scene to scene i mean it could have it could have been anything like a a lesser movie would have had him crushing on her from the beginning you know or like some some things that or or a lesser film would have had them have be buddies right from the start but the fact that this film has him so indoctrinated as to thinking she can do this and she can do that and she and oh my god i can't believe she's here to the point where you know she can read minds yeah yeah yes exactly (laughs) there's a moment in this movie where it looks like she's going to be found out. And in this scene, not to give away what actually does happen or does not happen, but the beauty mm-hmm. of the scene is that we don't know what Jojo will do in this situation. We know what we hope he'll do and we know what we want him to do, but this film leaves a lot of room for him to do something that he's been indoctrinated to do and not strictly as his mother has taught him to do the right thing it's when the uh, gestapo come in mm-hmm. as soon as they show up you know nothing good can come of this um <laughs> i think that's historically true of the gestapo yeah <laughs> even if it's steve merchant doing a very convincing german accent yeah but yeah and going oh this is my kind of boys room <laughs> you know he's Jojo's posters. <laughs> yeah he's got this huge smile on his face when they answer the door how hitler how are you and it's yeah it's so <laughs> he's mean, still sinister yeah well it, it, same same sort of thing it's it's another scene where it starts out so farcical but then gets so dangerous that, that's why i mean like it's a war film you're gonna have in a war movie there is always going to be that suspense driven scenes and this is one of them and maybe that's even like crossing a barrier into like it's a com it's a it's a dark comedy it's a war movie it's kind of got yes, elements of thriller into it just because with the danger of is this girl going to get found out 
is Jojo going to give her up? Is what's going to happen? Are they going to believe her? But you know, all that kind of thing, all in one scene. That it's just, it's high stakes. It's tense. So to me, it has like a thriller element to it as well. Now, on the other side of things, is this is yes. this film ever too twee? Like, does any of this absurdity ever really go too far? For me personally, no. <laughs> right. I, though coming out of the screening actually when i when i saw it at the festival um a lot of people again they took to twitter even though the the consensus was don't do hot takes okay no, no. let's just let it sink in guys um and there was a few people who did say like i liked it but it was just you know they didn't get he didn't get the comedy and the serious notes balanced and i think it's and they mentioned the bits that may be a bit too farcical or too twee um and i can understand why somebody would be disappointed with some some of the elements of the film but if you look at taka taika's other movies all his movies have elements of this they all have farcical moments that are mixed in with really deep emotional moments and the ones that are a bit more serious and darker and yes there are bits that can be a bit twee so when i when i see his movies i always expect that and so i'm not surprised and i i don't think anything of it but i can understand why people are because I, a lot of people when they talk about tiger's movies they always mention what we do in shadows mm -hmm. and then i just think did you guys see eagle versus shark did you see hunt for the world of people did you like did you did you see boy but um, what we do in shadow is, is the one that everyone goes to so some people just expect it to be comedy and then that's why it might come off a bit too twee. But I think because it's a war movie, you need that to have a relief from the horrificness of what's going on. Yeah, the only moment where I was left scratching my head wondering if we'd maybe gone to a a, a bit of a strange place is uh, Sam Rockwell as, uh, I'm going to try and pronounce this, Captain Klesendorf. Hey, look at that. Um, <laughs> Captain Klesendorf is, spends half this movie. I mean, first of all, he talks about how he's been demoted because of, of failing in his mission. So now he's down, you know, first of all, he's down teaching Hitler youth how to, uh, yeah. how, you know, how to fight. And then he's, he's manning a, a, like a propaganda station in, uh, in town. Um, he talks an awful lot about how he wants to be wearing a much more flamboyant uniform when the allies finally show up and he's got to go head to head with them. And Alfie Allen as his little like second in command is always like nodding yes. along. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, the moment that the, uh, the moment of reckoning for this uniform does arrive. And not only does, is the uniform arrive, but there's all these other little accent go on like you know, additions that requ that requires it to become a two man job. At that point, <laughs> this is also you know like late in the movie when a lot of stuff has gone on. That was the one yeah. moment where I was, thought, I was sitting there going, "Really?" Um, <laughs> but that aside, like we were saying before, I do think that for all the moments of you know absurdity and silliness and twee, that this movie does balance it out with some real emotion. Um, yeah. you know, going back to the, the whole scene where the Gestapo show up, you know, we, 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 we take five minutes to, to Heil Hitler, you know, we, we, we take to, over, over two people and, and five, you know, five Heil Hitlers each. And then in comes, 
in comes Klesendorf and oh, what were you doing? Oh, well, you know, he showed up and we had Hitler and then she showed up and we had Hitler and now here you are. It's just, you know, that would on its own, that would be just bananas. But then once they're done with that, we got we have business to attend to. So yeah, the it, reason why they're there and you're like, oh, God, yeah, I forgot about this. Bit. Yeah, it's going to get nasty. Yeah. yeah, and that, I mean, I think that's the success of this movie is it's it is a very delicate balance that I mm. think only somebody with the with Taika's sense of humor could achieve. Like if an American director tried to do this, they would fail miserably. I think a Brit could probably oh. do this, but Taika's developed his his humor at this stage of the game where he can make this kind of a movie i think yeah he can literally just get away with it because he's like this is my style guys this is what i do because j- just think about thor uh, ragnarok before it was like oh it's thor it's the one in the, the shakespearean type of outfits and all this like speaking sorry shakespearean type of like acting and they're like dressed like vikings or something it's all a bit crazy taika comes in it's hilarious it's funny because he actually finds the humor in it like look guys this it, this is, this can be funny and that's why i think taika can literally get away with with anything yeah if he's writing or if he's adapting or something but if he, he's got control of it he can literally just run wild with it and it's hilarious yeah but then flip side a few seconds later it's okay for it to go oh don't forget there's there's a serious note to this yeah don't forget people are dying and that's i mean that is yeah. that is one of the big achievements of this movie is when it goes when it goes dark it goes pitch black there there were moments in this movie that did leave me speechless that did just pin me back in my seat and make me say oh my god you know like yeah. I, everything's going along there, there, there's boys dressed as robots that, that are <laughs> collecting scraps and then you turn a corner it's like oh shit um it's and and again finding that alchemy um is is yeah it's 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 wonderful to see it when it when it sticks the landing because if it doesn't this would this movie would be a huge mess going back to the um the bit where where sam rockwell's character wears the flamboyant costume yes i would counteract that with i'm not surprised because there's little things about his character like seem a bit not off in a bad way but hang on a minute why was he actually demoted and only because he shares a lot of suggestive glances with alfie allen during the movie yes and yes he does another hidden reason as to why this is all going on i mean even you know he without giving away too much um there like there there there's a lot of there's, there's a lot suggested about uh, yeah. captain klesendorf um that that is never completely spelled out which again goes to how this movie achieves because a lesser movie would want us to linger on a lot of this stuff but i mean part of me also wonders if he was you know he is in a position where he's very very apathetic about a lot of things he's he's already he's lost an eye he's he's sitting there like yeah we're gonna be we're gonna die soon anyway so yeah um i i wonder i'm left there wondering if he's like that because of all this stuff or he was just, just like, like that the whole the time hell, you yeah know? yeah you know even just <laughs> what the, the hell i'm gonna wear my costume was, was yeah it like it or not but i mean even <laughs> just when even just when, <laughs> when jojo gets into this accident at the beginning of the movie when he throws a grenade and it smacks off a tree and comes back to him right <laughs> he basically <laughs> blows his own face off and all all klesendorf could do is look over his shoulder and go yeah don't do that <laughs> 
he's just like I've, I'm up, I've had it up to here. It's fine. Just let's carry on. Like, yeah, okay. and that and that's my. Yeah, I mean, it's never overtly <laughs> explained. Was Klesendorf like that before the demotion, or was that that how he got the demotion? Mm, I think he was probably a bit more. I think he was a bit more with it before the demotion. And, and but now, I think as soon as he got moved to take care of the Hitler Youth at the end of the war, it's kind of like, oh, great, cool, the no job. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Fine. Yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's straight out of something, that's for sure. Um, it's, <laughs> no, it, this, it, it's it's a really well done movie. Um, you know, the, the only thing is I do, even how we're talking about it, I do hope that um, the hype dies down a teeny bit just because I, I feel like a lot of people are going into this expecting the next best thing in the whole wide world. And yeah. it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful, but it's not, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire. Um, so, no. so I think that's, that's the one thing I would say is right now, if I do have a, a gripe with this movie and it's not even really a gripe with the movie itself is that it, the, the hype, the hype around it is a little bit too much at a fever pitch. So if people are just going to look and enjoy a good movie, there'd be fine. If people are thinking that they're about to see the best thing of the year, uh, maybe just dial it down a bit yeah that's the expectation versus what they're actually going to see i think is why people came out a little bit disappointed from the, from like screenings mm -hmm. but th this is what i mean by people going like oh they see taika's name and they they remember what we do in shadows or maybe thor and then they're like yeah it's gonna be comedy no guys it's a war movie but it's a dark comedy just like so you know yeah i think that that's what i just feel like that's what people were expecting yeah people and might have been expecting why, more hitler yeah that's the thing it's not called you know a boy and his hitler it's called <laughs> <Jojo>. <laughs> i would totally see that movie <laughs> we uh, probably like the prequel i don't I, know i think so <laughs> of course we end every uh, review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep uh katie hogan uh there there's a lot to choose from in this movie what would be your souvenir from jojo rabbit um, if I couldn't, if, okay, if it had to be, ooh, well, obviously I, I want to say, uh, oh, what's the little, the little boy with glasses? Yorkie. <laughs> he would be my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be my little buddy because he's just so adorable. But um, uh, if, to, if it was actually a physical thing, um, it might be that book that Jojo writes. Right. About Jude. Yes. Oh, it had a clever name, wasn't it? Oh, oh, shoot. who you Jew? Who you Jew? You who? <laughs> you who Jew? Yes, I remember. Yeah, that you was wonderful. Um, that, I mean, and, and yeah, they're and they go stop or flipping through it, and they're looking like, oh, there he is. He's on the run. Oh, look at him now. It's 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 a great book, and it's got some wonderful drawings that I'm sure are done by somebody on staff who had a really like just fun time of coming up with this stuff. And that would be a cool thing well, to keep from this film. What would be really great is if, the, you know, in 10 years' time, they do, like, you know, a 10th anniversary edition release of Jojo Rabbit, and you get a copy of that book with the DVD or Blu-ray or with something. That's uh, what I want. That would be the ultimate. I'm totally on board. I know that they did something, I think it cost, like, $150 a few years ago with that, with, uh, wait, wait, wait for it, with the Babadook? 
Oh, yes, I did hear about... Yeah, I did see that. So you got a copy of the book, which, of course, I, I would just never want to open ever, but I would like a copy of that book. Um, my, That'd I'm, be terrifying. Yeah, I know. I'm actually kind oh. of surprised that you didn't choose my souvenir. I thought I thought you were going to go right for it. I want Scarlet's shoes. I was thinking her shoes. That was the next thing. I was like, oh, her shoes are really cool, but man, that book. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, Rosie, Rosie wears these really great red and white. They almost look like kind of like Fluvog-esque, but like more era-appropriate shoes. Um, they're several... They've also got broguing, haven't they? Broguing What's that? on the side? They've What's... also got broguing on them. Yeah, yeah. There's several times where her shoes announce her presence before we see that it's her. Um, and and they're, they're just... They're so stylish. Like it, I just looking at those things, and you know, the, the, I gotta, I gotta admit, like women, you get some amazing looking shoes. Guys, we get shit. We get absolutely like, once in a while, we will get something kind of flash. But generally speaking, it's crap. You got, you, you get for for all. I mean, it's really only fair for what we put you through with the patriarchy that you get the better shoes. But really, yeah. that's, I look at something like that, I'm like, man, those are amazing. Uh, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Katie Hogan, what do you give Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit on a scale of one to four? I give it a four. It's a four. a four. Okay. For me, it is a Ooh. for me it is a three and a half. Um, I think that it will come up to a four when I watch it a little bit more, um, and and as well when some of the hype dies down. But right now, it's a really really good movie. Um, that's that we just need to kind of simmer it down just a little bit but it's not quite perfect for me on first blush i could understand people coming away from it and saying eh. so I, I but i i would love to hear more reactions from people now that we've had a chance to talk about ours so let us know ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of taiko watiti's jojo rabbit we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back with hopefully some movies on the other side we'll see if katie was able to uh to get her homework done or if the dog ate it right after this we're back it's matinee cast 233 we've been talking about jojo rabbit she's katie hogan i'm ryan mcneil um we're going to talk about some more films on the other side that one could go on to and while i usually like to uh be a good host and let the guest go first uh, i'm actually going to get us going today uh on the other side is uh in terms of works that one could go on to after seeing jojo rabbit we did mention in the course of the review um leave no trace um we talked about that on a previous matinee cast uh, we did a whole uh, uh review of deborah granick's leave no trace which stars thomas and mckenzie who is the amazing uh uh female ingenue in uh, Jojo Rabbit so that's one that I think that somebody could go on to if they want to see more of her uh, there will be a link in the show notes for that episode but as far as other works that I think one could go on to um, there there have been a lot of pokes at um, World War II over the years this is not nearly the first movie to come out and uh, and try to you know tweak the nose of the Fuhrer. Um, one of them was released 
in the midst of it all, really. And it's not the one that you're thinking of, if you think of a film that tweaked the nose of Hitler in the middle of it all. Um, in 1942, there was a film directed by Ernst Lubitsch uh, with Jack Benny and Carol Lombard called To Be or Not To Be. Katie Hogan, have you ever seen To Be or Not To Be? No, I haven't, actually. I have heard of it, but not seen it. It's um, so, so here's the send-up. It's about a troupe of actors in Nazi-occupied Warsaw who are trying to still keep the lights burning and keep some normality to the lives, and they're trying to put on Hamlet. In amongst all of this, there are several things going on, not the least of which is the fact that a, a paratrooper happens to land in their Polish town, um, which is basically drawing attention of the enemies towards towards this whole thing the great part is jack benny is the he's the 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 lead actor he's he's a ham uh his name is joseph tura and every time he gets on stage and tries to give the iconic to be or not to be speech somebody walks out and he, <laughs> and he always has to like in, in that jack benny glaring way you know has to like stop and be aghast um there's the, the, at one point when they're trying to when, when when the whole company kind of gets drawn into things, they're they're actually starting to um, mimic uh, not mimic they're trying to disguise themselves as a Nazi unit. At one point, one of them who kind of sort of looks like Hitler, they actually like dress him up like Hitler and send him out into Warsaw to see if he'll pass. <laughs> yeah, like a test. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and it's crazy. Like, the, like, crowds are stopping and staring. They're like, what is Hitler doing, like, looking into that deli? And I think and, and, and the, <laughs> the narrator was like, what is Hitler looking at a deli? Isn't he a vegetarian? Um, it's it's a, it's a hilarious movie that has aged so amazingly well. Um, Ernst Lubitsch, um, you know, he's the guy he inspired Billy Wilder. And it's it's still so funny even though a lot of what it's dealing with is is also just you know really dangerous and really pitch black i haven't seen this this sounds because when you said to be or not to be i thought it was um isn't there a mel brooks movie there is which i do believe is a <laughs> remake of this actually so it, it's very uh, much it, it's it's him and me and um and bancroft that one was in 1983 it is a remake and a lot of the beats are the same but and and it is a it's a it is a Mel Brooks movie that one and it's actually it's it's strange because it's a Mel Brooks movie that's not even directed by Mel Brooks it's directed by Alan Johnson. Um, but oh, I, wow. yeah, I I like the older one better even though like I love Mel Brooks and I love Anne Bancroft. Um, the the older one is is a little bit funnier for me. Um, what was so so you've been thinking you've been feverishly trying to pull yourself together there. What do you got for us? What's yeah. another side that we could go on to after this? Oh, so okay. It's a stretch, but it's another. I already mentioned it. Taika Waititi's boy, um, only because it's, it centers on centers on another young boy. I think he's a little bit older, like he's eleven or he's he's twelve or something. But he's. It's about him, and it's about his. Like he makes up stories about his his dad being. Um, First of all, he says he's met Michael Jackson. He's a really good dancer. He's like a really big. He's basically a hero to him. And in reality, his dad is basically just released from prison, and uh, he only comes back home not to see his kids, um, but to actually find some treasure that he stole 
when which was the reason why he went to prison he stole some money then he buried it and he got caught and then he went to prison and it's just about boy and his his little brother rocky and it's just how he he it kind of correlates to because taka wastiti plays boy's dad Mm. as well so he not only does he play the imaginary version for his son he plays the reality as well so boy is just trying to like he's just trying to get to know his dad and get through life and he just keeps telling all these stories to all the kids as well around him and they're just like what are you talking about your dad's just like a criminal he's nothing and boy's like no he's the best he's amazing like dad's gonna stay here and it's just uh, the realization that his dad is actually going to go. He he's he's not going to stick around. Once he's got his money, he's gone. He doesn't care about his sons, and it's it may not be set during a war or anything like that. But it's it's the realization that things aren't as they seem, and I, the, this is why it's really thin. <laughs> just linking Taika to being the imaginary imaginary friend playing Hitler, but he's also the imaginary version of what boy sees his dad to be. Well, no, I don't think that that's a thin comparison at all. I actually think that to the movie-going public at large, Taika is still a rather new talent. Like, I know you and I love and adore what we do in the shadows and hunt for the wilder people, but I, I, I know that there's a lot of people out there who really haven't seen either one of them or maybe even both. Um, and I don't know if they even necessarily connect him with Thor Ragnarok in some ways, this is kind of going to be his coming out party. So people would be well served. I mean, obviously to go back to shadows and wilder people, but to go back even further into movies like boy, because a lot of the themes that these movies have in common. And I mean, if you go down the line, if you go like taking shadows out of the equation, you have boy, wilder people, Thor as well. And Jojo, where it's all about sons trying to deal with their daddy issues and not in a very, very, therapeutic Wes Anderson kind of way, but in a very real, um, honest, mature, trying to understand uh, uh, where they fit in and what they're supposed to be way. And I think, you know, you're right. Boy, actually, to be honest, I haven't actually seen Boy. Um, for some reason, I had it in my head that he directed Boy A, which is a totally different movie. Um, no. so, so, I mean, you know, you're reminding me that I, I still need to go back and go see Boy. Yeah. I was going to say, if you go back further as well to his first movie, Eagle vs. Shark, um, Jermaine Clement actually plays a guy who is also trying to seek the approval of his dad. Um, because uh, in the wake of his brother, who's also played by Taika, but um, his brother, pr like prior to the beginning of the movie, killed himself. And um, the, the dad's never got over it and really hates his living son. So Jermaine Clement's character just spends the like trying try, spends the movie trying to win over his son his dad's approval so it's kind of a running theme <laughs> do you like from, um uh, where taika movies are concerned do you like it more where he's front and center or do you prefer it when he's kind of a side character because like hunt for the wilder people and thor and even jojo he's kind of more of a supporting character versus what we do in the shadows where he's one of the mains i like him as a side character because uh well hunt for the wilder people cameo that was more a cameo wasn't well yeah it? yeah he, d he just didn't expect it. Like, oh, he's a... And then oh, he there he is. Yeah, then he goes. Yeah. yeah. And then he just distracts you with his ridiculous speeches. It's just great. I prefer him as a side character because he's a very zany guy. Yeah. And I think he does really well at directing everybody else. 
and then keeping his zany stuff to the side as like it's not the main like distraction it's just it's funny whereas i find like hunt for the and so i out of all the movies yeah what, what we do in shadows where he's front and center yes it's a funny movie but i feel like he shares the limelight with two other people so it's not overload of zany mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so he kind of shares it whereas all the other characters um in boy to be honest he he is again he is a supporting character but he is in it quite a lot but he's not as he's not as outright crazy gotcha he plays a very realistic but funny version of what a neglectful dad would be if he ran off and tried to join like start a gang okay <laughs> called the crazy horses yeah but yeah <laughs> I think I prefer him as a side character. So another movie that I thought would make an interesting pairing with this, um, although it would it would have to go second because it's it's serious as cancer. There there is there is no laughing in this movie at all. Um, is a movie that I actually I was drifting away from for a long time, and I actually think it's actually become quite relevant again. When's the last time you thought about American History X? Oh my god! Um, Been a while, right? Time. <laughs> no, not for a long time. It's already 21 years old. It came out in 1998. Uh, got a Best Actor nomination for Edward Norton. Um, he plays a neo-Nazi in California. And uh, we meet up with him on the day where he gets uh, let out from prison. And he's trying, when he gets out, to turn his life around. We learn about who he was we learn about who he became in prison we learn about the um social situation around like the the neo-nazis in southern california have this entire social scene that kind of preys on young members and encourages uh hatred in like in 90s america like we're not talking about something that's set back 50 years ago or anything like that this was set in at the time modern times and it is absolutely stone cold startling to watch this it is it is definitely one of the most affecting movies uh you'll ever see to kind of answer my own question that that was certainly a movie that left me speechless pretty sure i saw that one by myself in the theater and that was not a good idea um <laughs> the reason why i came to that one i mean like you know i don't want to say that you know we need two movies about nazis and one of them makes us laugh and the other one just leaves us in a huddling ball but what i yeah appreciate about american history x and what i think jojo rabbit tries to establish and it and it weaves it in there a little a lot more in in a much more subtle fashion is that hatred is taught you know we we keep beating our heads against a wall uh in this world wondering how people can be so terrible to each other and so terrible to the other whether the other is a different gender or a different sexual orientation or a different race or different color or different religion or some combination thereof we have no idea how people can treat the other so badly and then we realize hey shit it's because their parents did that and their parents are the ones who said to them the other are lesser and i mean you see that in jojo rabbit they're they're teaching these kids so insanely young that the jew are i mean like we're laughing at it saying that the jews can read minds and the jews can do this and whatever but that's that's the whole thing they're drilling into these kids so young they're they're teaching them hate and that 
comes back up in American History X when you see how Edward Norton's character and his younger brother, his younger brother, played by Edward Furlong, how they were taught to hate by various father figures in their lives. I think that's one of the best scenes in the film because it comes near the end and it's sort of like a realization for people going, oh, that's how it happened because throughout the film that was one of the things i kept thinking i was like okay now he's changed but why did he do this what was the reason there's got to be some kind of origin here there's got to be some kind of like starting point to his hate and that scene at the dinner table is it's so it, it just feels like normal family is it breakfast or dinner i can't remember but it's a normal family meal they're all just sitting down and it, it just seems so normal and then the dad just spouts off some poison and you're just like that's that's it that's the origin yeah it just takes it just takes that one little bit to start and then it the hate just starts flowing the the father does it so matter-of-factly too even supley is in this movie he's uh he's one of their friends he's a big heavy dude a lot of people might know him from um my name is earl was was one of his shows he's he's you know mall rats was another one of his 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 roles he's a really outspoken nazi he's a really guy like he's singing songs and he he spouts off the n-word every every chance he gets and same thing with uh, Faruja balk as uh one of your uh, one of your craft girls Oh, yeah. Right? Um, Faruja <laughs> Balk is in this again. movie. Same thing. Well, like, she's spouting off epithets, like, no problem, whatever, on and on and on and on. When we hmm. see the origin, when we see this dinner scene that you were talking about, their father's just like, well, I got this, this person got this job, and they may not be as good as this other person, but hey, they're black and they got it, and that's the world we live in. Does that seem right to you? No. No, it doesn't. Does it? Yeah, okay. And you're like, whoa, wait, hold on a second. You're, you're spouting off some terrible stuff but just talking yeah. about it as if as the same way your kids talked about what they did in school yeah that's what that's what it is it's just one small thing yeah yeah and you know the the sad thing is i was kind of thinking that that movie was a little bit dated and unfortunately the world has turned in such a way that that movie is yeah. quite relevant again um did you think no. of it did you think of any others while we were talking Cafe Now, uh, Nadine Labaki's uh, film about the only reason why i thought the correlation was it was just about a it's about an 11 year old boy um and he basically he after finding out his his sister who's like 12 or something maybe even younger than that um is about to be basically sold off to get married to a much like three times older man um he ends up leaving home and living on the streets okay. and he turns into a street kid and he has to fend for himself and the only reason why i thought about this film is because it's not necessarily during a war but it's an ongoing war with poverty and that the basic the film just explores this little boy and his life and he ends up like taking care of um this this toddler this uh, i don't know how old the toddler is but because he makes friends with um uh, an illegal immigrant who's from ethiopia and he stays with her and says i'll look after your toddler while you're at work and in the end the woman does get she she gets deported but there's no way to contact the little boy so it's about this little boy and this toddler literally just out on the streets fending for themselves and it's as i said it's not a war but it's a reality of just trying to survive. And in a way, it kind of correlates with Jojo just trying to survive. But this is more during 
towards the end of the film when he's sort of like picking up scrap metal and stuff like that. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Okay. Thank, actually, thank you for reminding me because I have wanted to see that. That's been on my Netflix to watch list forever, 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 yeah. forever. I mean, that was, wasn't that up for best foreign film last year, wasn't it? It was, and it was robbed, but I won't go into that. <laughs> okay. Um, it's uh, the thing is though, this film is com- is like completely the polar opposite to anything to, like JoJo. The only thing that I thought would be kind of similar is because it's about a young kid. And but I mean, there's spectring. what I like. What I like about that association is that juvenile actors are capable of doing so damn much. Like in in America, we tend to keep them very precocious, right, and very cute. And yet what I think a movie like Capernaum and to a lesser extent Jojo Rabbit reminds us is that kids are precocious and cute when their situation allows it. If their situation is much more um, threatening, kids are thrown into a whole different reality and it's fascinating to watch what they do. This, the thing about Cafe Noun is that the all the people in the in the film apart and Nadine has like a very small 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 cameo part, um, but the the well, everybody in it they're all um, they're not actors they're just people that she met and said do you want to be in this movie basically it's they're all non actors and so it's kind of they're acting their own reality okay. so it's painful to what it's very harrowing i'm not gonna sugarcoat it in any way it's a harrowing. <laughs> bring it on then um it got a standing ovation when i saw it at london film festival last year um i think it got a standing ovation i can't remember if it was at Cannes or not but it got a standing ovation then it it's a really amazing movie but the thing about it it's not just a film because um, Nadine Labaki, she spent because she did uh, she did Caramel, then Where Do We Go Now, then she brought this movie out. But there was years long gaps, yeah, um, from movie to movie. But the reason was is because she spent six months filming this film, and prior to that, she had like two years of planning it. Like, and then afterwards, it wasn't just like can just going to leave it there. Like, she was like, I wanted to do something. She was like, I could see what was happening on the streets. I could see what was happening, and I wanted to do something. And she was like, the only thing I know what to, how to do is make movies. So I made a movie about this, mm. so to bring the the issue forward. Okay. And I think the little kid in it, um, he, I think he ended up going to live in Norway, and he got, he went to school for the first time. Well, I yeah, I I totally didn't realize, but it, that it was by the same woman as Where Do We Go Now? Because um, I mean that uh, film, that 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 that's a film that left an impression on me. Uh, I mean, even the beginning of that movie, I can kind of like close my eyes and 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 remember that that very um, elegant opening to that movie that almost makes you think that it might be a musical or something, but it's not at all. Um, no, that that's a good. That's a definitely again, kind of like. American History X. It's it's okay. We've got you in here now that you're laughing and you're happy. Let's go and watch something that's a little bit heavier. Let's let's turn it around. Let's serve now that you've had your dessert, people. Let's serve you the main course. Yes, the other way around. Exactly. All right. No, that's well done. See, look at you. You've got your homework done. You scrambled, and it's you know it's a little sloppy, and your paper's crumpled. But you know, you know B plus, A minus, somewhere in there. Well done, Miss Hogan. Um, that is episode 233 of the matinee cast. I'm so thankful to Katie Hogan for coming by. Um, come on back, uh, Monday, November 11th. That's one week's time for episode 234. I am pretty darn sure we are going to talk about the new Martin Scorsese epic, the Irishman on 
234. Katie is writing all over the place. Um, she's writing on <laughs> Vulture Hound, and she likes movies. Do you have anything, anything coming up next week that people can look for? Um, so I do actually. So I literally just I wrote something about Britney runs a marathon. Um, but I am going to be reviewing it because I wrote a very personal uh, post about the film. And then I'll be reviewing the film just straightforward for Vulture Hound. Uh, that should be out next week. Also, um, I don't know if when The Courier is coming out for you guys, but <laughs> I'll also be reviewing that soon. Have to look for that. I um, <laughs> don't know if you guys have heard about it, but... <laughs> nope. <laughs> I not, not me. Okay, I'll, I'll have to look for it for sure. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, they can follow me at Hogan Shogun. Very cool. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play. Anywhere you get podcasts, it's there. And if it's not there, let me know and I will put it there. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on jojo rabbit uh or any of the films that we talked about afterwards or anything that's on your mind uh can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at the matinee.ca you can find me on twitter matinee underscore ca or facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts miss hogan before you hit the hay um uh, final thought is definitely go watch boy <laughs> yes i'm good i'm gonna do that as soon as after we hang jojo out. rabbit after jojo rabbit <laughs> for katie i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee